0: Bow your heads and say a little prayer with me. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable to you, O Lord, our Rock and our Redeemer. Amen. It is good to be with you all this morning and get to worship and get to share with you all. It's it's a pleasure to be asked to get to share a message with you. I've been always uh, am humbled and uh, appreciate this opportunity to sort of think and delve into the Word and think, reflect on what we've been talking about, especially this week of all weeks, because this week, what we're doing this week is wrapping up a series called Real. Right? We've been spending the last seven weeks, believe it or not, seven weeks thinking about what it means to be real. Right? We've been using the book of James as a guide. Right? This letter that James, a brother of Jesus, wrote to the early churches. Right? I've enjoyed this series a lot. I've gotten a lot out of thinking about what it means to be a real Christian today, right? And so I was really, you know, honored again when, you know, Jason, of course, didn't have to was, had to be out of town, and he was trying to decide, well, you know, I need someone to speak, and Tim, you want to speak? Sure. Um, What do you want to talk about? Well, you can talk about whatever you want, or you can actually wrap up this series, right? So being entrusted to bring all of this to a close, I take that as a as an honor and uh, hopefully do all the work that Jason's been setting up over the last seven weeks, justice, because I think what we've been focusing on is extremely important, right? We've been saying that we as Christians need to be real, right? In fact, for the last few weeks, we've been saying this right here. I want to say it again out loud. Please join me and read this. As followers of Christ, we must be real. Say it again. As followers of Christ, we must be real, right? We must be real. Now, more than ever, we need to be real. Right? We've been saying this each week. We've been trying to think, what does it mean to be real, right? We say be real. We know that be real means to be honest, to be authentic and genuine, right? To be an authentic Christian. If we are to represent Christ and God in our world, we must be genuine in our journey. One of the biggest problems and biggest complaints that people have with Christians today is the hypocrisy they see. When we say one thing and profess one word on Sunday mornings and we turn around before we're even home, we've turned our back on what we thought we said. And we need to think about and spend a lot of time actively engaged in the process of being authentic and actively engaging in the process of being genuine. This is the message that James was sharing with his church as well. It's also funny if we reflect on that, right, because not much has changed then over the last 2,000 years. Right. Even that long ago, trying to figure out how do we live an authentic Christian life. And so we've been spending the last seven weeks thinking about what that means, because James lays out some very interesting themes in his letter to the early churches. We've been saying that if we're going to be real, then we need to be honest. Real honesty means that we are truthful about our struggles and our temptations that we deal with on a daily basis. Being a real Christian means we have real faith, and real faith is realized in our actions. Not our words, right? Not just our words, right? We need to live and act our faith, right? Faith without actions, we said, was useless, right? If we don't do something with our faith, we're called to do something. In the process, we focused on having to need real control, right? And we're talking about control, we were talking about control of our words, because words matter. The words that we say and choose to come out of our mouths matter. Yet we could tame a tiger so easily, but the tongue is that difficult thing, impossible to tame, right? Except through Jesus Christ, right? We want to turn to God to help us control our tongue. We talk about real wisdom and that godly wisdom, right? That godly wisdom that comes down from above that is pure and peaceful, right? Full of mercy and free of hypocrisy, right? Godly wisdom seeks peace out in the world, and is selfless. We've talked about a real heart, right? and a real heart is a humble heart. And when we humble ourselves, then and only then can we begin to be authentic in our faith. Last week, we talked about real prayer. Real prayer was about not necessarily getting what we want or what we hope for, but keeping that constant connection to our God. We have a way to talk with him, and we can keep that connection open through the good times and the bad, and it's through prayer that we do that. We keep that constant connection all the time connected to our Father in Heaven. Throughout all of this, we've been clear to point out that being real is not being perfect. We've been very honest about that, too. Being real does not mean that we are perfect. If we're genuine about our lives, then we have to be genuine about our struggles, about our complications, about the difficulties that we face on a daily basis. We acknowledge these, and we don't stand alone. But if we're honest, then we know that we're going to fail, that we fall short. Thinking about a message and thinking about today, I was turning back to a great uh, poet and philosopher, Leonard Cohen, Wrote some great songs and some great stories. And in one of his lines in the song Anthem, he says, forget your perfect offering. There is a crack in everything. That is how the light gets in. We are not perfect. Even now, with 40 years of wisdom, This last week, I finished 40 laps around the sun. And during those 40 times around the sun, I've learned a lot. And the older I get, the more I realize I know very little. What I do know is that we're all broken. We all have cracks. There are cracks in everything. But those cracks, that brokenness is essential because it's through those cracks that light can come in. Now, I don't want to focus today about being broken. Today, what I want to talk about is what do we do when we encounter brokenness? What do we do when we encounter brokenness? What I want to do is finish up this series thinking about real concern. I want to talk about real concern. Now, we get concerned about a lot of pretty trivial things in our lives, am I right? right? We get wrapped up and consumed with some pretty small things. In fact, when I was thinking about this, I was remembering that story of Martha and Mary, right? who were having Jesus over for dinner. right? Jesus coming over to their house, and as the process of having Jesus there, Martha's running around trying to handle all the arrangements and get things organized and making sure everything's perfect. right? I can only imagine what I would do if Jesus was about to come over to my house. right? Dining room table's a mess. The laundry's all over the place. The food refrigerator is completely empty. Right? What would I get wrapped up in in thinking about that? Right? In the process, Martha, who's running around, looks over her sister, has been sitting there listening to Jesus the whole time. And Martha looks up to Jesus and says, Jesus, please tell Mary to come help me. I need some help here. Right? Jesus turns to Martha. Martha, Martha, Martha. You're worried, but distracted by so many things when there's only one thing that you need. Right? It's keeping that one thing in front of us. Right? Jesus doesn't want us to be concerned with these trivial things. He doesn't want us to forget what is important our relationship with God. Right? He was pointing this out to Martha. Right? Yet it's so easy to be distracted, isn't it? It's so easy to be consumed with all the things, whether it's food or drink or games or movies, the internet, right? I think, you know, maybe a modern telling of this story, Martha would be updating her status on Facebook and not realizing Jesus was sitting right next to her, right? We can get consumed and distracted by oh so many little things. There are cracks in everything, we see brokenness all around us. And while brokenness is a way for the light to come in, it's not the only thing that's trying to get in. Right? Those chips and those cracks and those gullies are filled, can be filled with darkness as well. They can be magnified through loneliness, bitterness, and hatred. Those cracks can separate us from God if we let them. James ended his letter expressing his real concern. His real concern in the way that we respond with our brothers and sisters as they struggle in their faith. He writes at the end, the last two verses of his letter here from the message, My dear friends, if you know people who have wandered off from God's truth, don't write them off. Go after them. Get them back, and you will have rescued precious lives from destruction and prevented an epidemic of wandering away from God. James was concerned about a very real problem. The people of Jesus were wandering off. They were learning about him, knew him, accepted him, yet, as life is, right, became occupied and distracted with the concerns of the world and we're wandering away. James warns that this epidemic can result in destruction. I'm always amazed at our God and how much he loves freedom. Right? Our God loves freedom more so than I think I would if I was God. Right? Because he created a free world. Right? We are free. Right? We are free to think about whatever we want. We're free to do whatever we want. He didn't make us subservient or mindless beings. He created a free world, and by being free, he gave us choices. We are free to follow God. We also have the freedom to love ourselves and the things and objects of this world more. We are free to do that. James is concerned about those wandering away from God's love. He's speaking, again, about those who've known God. Right? He's talking about Christians who know God, have joined the Christian movement, but have turned away. And he's very clear about what we should do when we see a family member walking and wandering away. Right? We're to go after them. Right? Don't write them off. Don't forget them. Go after them. Right? And in doing so, we can save them, right? Get them back and know they will be rescued. Jesus had another brother named Jude, who also wrote a letter in the Bible. Back at the end of Jude, in his short little letter, and one thing I like about James and Jude is that you can sit down and read them very quickly. Right? Jesus' brothers, though, in both of those letters, shared the same concern. At the end of Jude's letter, he writes, Save others by snatching them out of the fire, and have mercy on still others with fear. Or in the message translated, Go after those who take the wrong way. Be tender with sinners, but not soft on sin. The sin itself stinks to high heaven. Jude also says, Go after them and snatch them from the fire. Both James and Jude exhibit a lot of concern. Real concern. And encourage us not to just let those around us wander in the darkness, to fall off the path, but to pull them back. Like you do a small child who gets close to that fire. You snatch them back and you pull them back quickly. Right? We walk out to that parking lot for the first time and your little one's not holding your hand and you see that car coming and you yank them back with that force, pulling them back to safety. We are to go after actively seeking our brothers and sisters. I also think it's funny that both of these letters, written by Jesus' brothers, focused on trying to save the wandering, right? Because if you think about being Jesus' brother, probably was not an easy thing to be, right? I mean, growing up, you can imagine mom saying, why can't you be more like your brother? Sorry, mom, I'm not Jesus, Right? If anyone's going to wander and not live up to expectations, it's going to be the siblings of Jesus, right? That's a pretty high bar to set. And both of them seem to be making sure that we remember to go after the loss. I'm sure both of them at some point felt lost, as we probably, and you and I at some point in our lives, have felt lost. We have struggles and temptations in our lives. And do you know who's fully aware that we have struggles and temptations in our lives? Jesus. Right. Jesus. Fully aware. If you have your Bibles and you want to turn to Luke 22, 31 to 34, Right, just a quick couple of verses, but I'm going to reflect on a story. And then let me set the stage for you. Right? This is just at the end of what will be known as the Last Supper. Right? Jesus and the apostles had gathered up together. Around the table, Jesus had just broken the bread and passed the cup for the first time. Jesus turns to Peter, formerly Simon, and in verse 31 he says, Simon, Simon, listen. Satan has demanded to sift all of you like wheat, but I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And you... Once you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. And Peter said to him, Lord, I am ready to go with you to prison and to death. Jesus said, I tell you, Peter, the cock will crow this day, will not not crow this day until you have denied three times that you know me. It's a lot to unpack in those Short few verses. If you think about it, Peter, right, was extremely confident and strong in his faith. Right when challenged by Jesus, Peter says, "I am ready to go with you and follow you to death. I will follow you into prison. There is no place I will never turn from you, Lord." Right? Peter knows who Jesus is. Right? He has an advantage that we don't have today. He got to see Jesus. He saw the miracles. He stood there in his presence. He knew fully well right, who Jesus was. But Jesus also knew that Peter was a human, a person, a free will. And that Satan was going to sift him like wheat. Right, you Think about sifting like wheat. Right? How he passed that wheat through the sifter, getting wheat, tossing and turning and flipping and turning upside down. That is what the devil will do. And Jesus is fully aware that that is what is going to happen in Peter's life. Peter says, no way. Nothing's going to separate me from you, Lord. I will follow you. And Jesus says, you won't. You're going to wander away. You're going to leave me. Jesus fully acknowledged that. Satan's going to sift you like wheat. I'm going to tell you to pray, and you're not going to pray. You're going to fall asleep. You will allow Satan to toss you like wheat and deny who I am three times. Jesus was completely honest and real with Peter's trials and temptations. And then there's a big but, right? There's a but, though, right? Jesus didn't just stop there, because he could have, right? He said, I've told you there's no reason you shouldn't know who I am. You should do exactly what you said, right? But you're not going to. But you know what? I have prayed for you that your faith will remain strong, and when you return, when you turn back, strengthen those around you. See Jesus knew completely that Peter would deny him. You right? made no mistake of that, but he didn't give up on Peter. Right? He didn't say, "Don't come back to me, that's it. I'm done with you,? Right? You're going to deny me, but when you return, but when you return, strengthen your brothers and sisters. Jesus was praying for Peter the whole time, not letting go or walking away or turning his back on Peter, even though Peter turned his back and freely gave Jesus away, turned him over, turned his back, completely walked away, everything he knew and everything he declared, Peter gave up on Jesus, yet Jesus never gave up on Peter. That is good news. Not only did Jesus know Peter was going to walk away from him, wandering away. But Jesus said, when you return, strengthen your brothers and sisters. Therein, Jesus gives us a message too. right? When we wander away, and we will wander, because make no mistake, we will wander away. I've wandered. You can probably think of your own trials and times that you've wandered in your faith. Right? Squandered time Relationships, money, resources. You've known what was right, what you should say, yet you've chose to be silent. We've been sifted like wheat. But there is a way back to Jesus. Jesus always offers that way back. You're not forgotten or left lost. And when you come back, strengthen your brothers and sisters, because you know what? We're going to need it. We're told that when we will come back, to go out and strengthen those around us. Because people matter to Jesus. People matter to God. You matter. I matter to God. All people matter to God, and there is nothing that he won't do to bring you to him. There's no boundary that he won't cross to make those connections, to make sure that people know their Father in heaven. We're right? think about crossing boundaries and trying to find those who may be lost. I always think back to one of my favorite stories, and that's a story about a woman sitting by a well. Not just any woman, a Samaritan woman. A Samaritan woman sitting by a well. And John tells a story about Samaritans and Jews. And we need to remember that Samaritans and Jews do not get along, right? It's not just that they don't get along. They hate one another. Right? They do not associate with one another. They go out of their way. Jews will travel miles which sounds like a little distance to us today. That's a lot of hardship to go out of your way to avoid these people. They don't interact with them. They treat them as these half-bloods. You can imagine what it would be like to be called such a thing. They're reviled. The Samaritans return that, as you would imagine anybody would, because if someone thinks poorly of you, you probably don't think too highly of them either. And so they return those feelings. Jews and Samaritans did not interact with one another. But Jesus, a Jew, traveled straight into Samaria. Traveled there by himself because those following him, as other Jews would, avoided Samaria. Jesus went there and in doing so came across this well in the middle of a day. At the well in the middle of the day, it was a woman. Of course, that woman went to the well in the middle of the day because she knew that the heat of the day, there's not going to be anyone else at this well. So she could pull the water that she needed for her household and take it back without having to interact with any of her community. She didn't want to talk to anybody. This is a woman who had been shunned by her community, married five times, currently living with another man, not her husband. And Jesus struck up a conversation with this Sumerian woman. They started talking about her situation. Started a conversation over a glass of water. And through that conversation, Jesus revealed that he was the Son of God, the one her people had been chosen from. Through that conversation of going across a seemingly gigantic wall, Jesus not only brought her but she, in turn, went out and brought those around her, right, the community, back and to know and to get to know Jesus. There is no boundary that Jesus was not willing to cross for people. Because right? Jesus wasn't playing around, right? Jesus wasn't playing a game. Jesus was fully aware of the stakes that were at play, the stakes of you. And I we are free to follow Jesus just as we are free to turn from him we are free to let others remain in the darkness or wander away from the fold and we are free to go after them and snatch them from the fire either way the stakes remain the same either way we are free But we are called to have real concern. Because it's not a game that we're playing. The stakes are real. They are you and they are I. And we have to ask, what are we willing to do? What are we willing to say? What boundary are we willing to cross for such a thing? What are you willing to do or say for my life? What am I willing to do or say for yours? If we are to have real concern, then we have to be willing to say and do anything. When we go through this process, we should remember those first seven weeks. We should remember that in order to be real in our concern, we need to have real honesty and real faith, real control of our words, real wisdom, real heart, real prayer. Jesus was praying for Peter that whole time. But we're to have real concern, and there should be no boundary that we're not willing to cross. Like me, you probably received a letter this week, a letter from our shepherds, expressing some real concern. Our shepherds are reaching out right now because they have some real concern concerns about what we do with our lives and how we live them. And they have chosen to share those concerns, not willing to just sit back and let us wander. I appreciate that letter, and I hope it starts to open up some conversations that we can think about, because let's be honest. We can look around this room, and we can see a lot of empty space. There's a lot of possibility and a lot of potential for people coming and keeping and staying to know God and His love. Right? We are going to wander. Right? Make no mistake of that. But when we do, right? hopefully we're not all wandering at the same time. Right? That's where there's power in numbers. Right? Because we are each going to wander in our journey. God knows this. Right? That's why He gave us each other, right? that's why we have a community. We need to be here because we need our community to keep aligning ourselves with that, which we know to be true but is often so challenging to keep in front of us all the time. We need to be present so that we can serve one another. We need to be present so that we can be encouraged by one another. The reason I am here And the reason my family finds time, and it's not an easy thing to do. We'll admit that finding time to come out every Sunday and every Wednesday is not that convenient all the time. I'll be honest about that. But we know that when we start wandering, other things start falling out of alignment. I know that when I start falling and putting other things first, that it's very quick before things start falling out of control because I'm not in control and I'm not putting God in control. As a community of Christ, we can support each other to help one another to remember that it is God first, that He is here for us, that He loves us, and there is nothing that He won't do for you. There's no boundary. And should you wander? Should you stray, when you return, strengthen your brothers and sisters. So what do you do when you see cracks in everything? We're free. Do you pull out a chisel and chip away at those cracks that you see in those around you? Do you chip away at... Pains that others may be facing? Do you try to stick mud or dirt or anything you can over those cracks so you don't have to see those cracks in other people? Do you cover it up or do you turn an eye? Do you turn around so you don't have to see the brokenness in front of you? Or do you shine the penetrating light of Jesus into those cracks? Do you pull out all the stops? Bring mercy and grace and love to fill those cracks. Do you ensure that the person in front of you knows that they are an image bearer of God? That they are made in his image. That you are made in his image. That we are God's people. That we are loved. See, if I was to make any point today, it's that real concern shines God's light into everything. Real concern doesn't hesitate, doesn't think about what I should or shouldn't do. Right? It goes and it snatches our brothers and sisters back from the fire. It goes after that brokenness and it shines God's light. And God's light is one of mercy and grace and love all through Christ Jesus. Real concern shines God's light In everything, we can only get to that real concern through real honesty, real faith. We should be controlled in our words and rely on that godly wisdom to act and to pause. We should humble ourselves and go forward in prayer. We should go after that brokenness with the light of Jesus. Please join me in prayer.